there comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Paul Filbert. Hi Paul, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Uh, well, thank you for thank you for inviting me um, to, to be podcasted. Let's start with a little bit about where you are, where you live, what, what your sort of general background is, and um, and then we can talk a little bit about the fact that I know you quite well because we were actually at college <laughs> together. <laughs> we can explore a little bit about that as well. But first of all, just tell us, where are you living at the moment and, and exactly what is it that you do? Right. Um, I recently moved to Glasgow. Um, I'm now the principal timpanist of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Um, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted with my current occupation. Um, prior to this, I was with Opera North, holding the, uh, the well the same position, principal timpani. Um, before that, a little freelance activity again as a principal timpanist. Um, and before that, and this is going back some decades now. Um, I was the founding principal timpanist of the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. The vast majority of my of my professional history there. And as and as I mentioned just before, we we know each other from being at Trinity College of Music together, and um, and being in the same department, and we overlapped pretty much, um, give or take the odd year or so. So we were there for a few years together, and um. And it's been really inspiring from my side, watching Paul's career develop as he's travelled around the world and done all sorts of things. And I've had the pleasure of um, working with him, with, with him quite a lot in various sections. And um, let's let's think about now, you know, what does your life look like now compared to how it was different from when you were actually growing up, sort of pre all of that kind of um, music college time? Pre-music college. Well, um, I was at a, a specialist music school from the age of nine. Um but as the director of music at the time pointed out, I was not one to specialize in any particular musical instrument. I kind of meandered from, well, I got into Purcell with a very rudimentary piano, um, but my singing ability was um, noted. And I think that tipped the balance, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, but I meandered through piano, clarinet, tried brass instruments, they never really settled with me um, before landing. Well, they, they started uh, um, percussion tuition at, at the school, I forget now, this would have been um, me probably aged 13 or 14. Uh, and they offered me the opportunity to become one of the first students. Um, and that was kind of, that was a, a big a big light going on in my head. It was the first time in my life uh, my mum didn't have to nag me to practice. Yeah, it, I wanted to to play, and so I did. And my first timpani lesson was was overwhelming. I remember distinctly remember the feel of the the well playing the drum because of course I'd, I'd already 
had a basic knowledge and understanding of you know playing snare drum getting my rudiments together and the feel of the way the stick reacted with the drum in my hand when i played a timpani was very different and i and i i loved it straight away um yeah so it just became a thing for me to spend as much time with these instruments as i could and it's interesting, isn't it, when you sort of, when you find something, I mean, I can obviously relate to that being a, um, a timpanist myself, but when, when anybody finds something where you just do something, you think, oh, there's something here which just, I don't know, speaks to me in a way um, that you hadn't heard anything before. And I, I think the same a little bit about the podcast. Um, a few years ago, I was had a, when Rhythmically Speaking was going, which was my education company, and we were producing concerts and various things. We did a little bit of... Um, a bit of publicity around it and I did some radio interviews on on BBC and um and some local other radio stuff as well and I remember thinking I really really enjoy this sort of being behind the microphone sort of telling the story you know kind of really getting excited about what we're doing and then here we are a few years later and um education on fire is now a podcast network and i spend most of my time behind the microphone in, um talking to people about their lives and, and some of the things that they're doing so it's interesting that even from my experience back there you just sort of have that little nugget of something which is just like, yeah there's something here which i enjoy and i'd had no idea that this is where i would end up doing this kind of thing but it, it's interesting that if you can just acknowledge there's something there no matter what you're into i think that that, that usually shows you a way forward in some way or another absolutely i i couldn't agree more um well my advice to anyone and everyone listening follow your heart yeah yeah there is there is something about being emotionally honest with yourself that can well it'll change your life i think if you if you persevere despite the obstacles and what was your experience in terms of when you talked there about being at a specialist kind of um, music school before you even went to music college? How did that come about? Were you at a traditional state school before that or did you sort of enter into that sort of musical world from a young age, like say because of your singing and that kind of thing? Uh, my mum was insistent on sending me to fee-paying schools in order to give me uh, what in her opinion was the, um, the best possible opportunity as an adult, um, she, 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 well, let me see. She's the first generation. Let me see. No, my grandmother was first generation British, but, uh, born in Grenada. My mum was also born in Grenada. That's in the Caribbean. She was the first to, um, emigrate to the UK via the U S. So her impression was that private school was going to give me the best possible start. Um, and be the best, best possible weapon to combat um, potential prejudice, which she encountered to a significant degree when she first arrived here. Um, so she worked very, very hard to to give me as many, op both myself and my sister, as many uh, opportunities as we possibly could have. Um, so my first school was a stage school. I went to Barbara Speaks, but not for very long because uh, my mum wasn't particularly happy with what she saw there. I then went to a Montessori learning school, which well, I loved. I, I distinctly remember having a crush on one of the teachers. I can't remember <laughs> her now, but um, uh, that's, that's always going to inspire a boy to, to you know, to do better. Um, I was there, well, I couldn't tell you how long I was there for, but I moved from there onto Hamilton House, and um, the music teacher there was uh, this very softly spoken Welshman called um, Mr. Simpson, James Simpson. 
uh, and he played well. He appeared to play everything. I certainly remember him uh, having excellent keyboard, guitar, harp, uh, maybe penny whistle, flute. I'm not so sure now. I'm reaching a bit, but I mean, he seemed to be able to play everything. Uh, very gifted, very softly spoken. He identified my my kind of aural abilities. Um, between him and the, and the headmistress, Miss Pilgrim, um, they alerted my mum to my potential, and that's when they searched for schools for me. Uh, so um, I think I auditioned for St Paul's Choir School, um, but Purcell was the one that ultimately um, was realised. Uh, and I think, for me, the environment there uh, was pretty much perfect, actually, because I was allowed to proceed at a relaxed pace. Um, I think my head was very much in the clouds for much of my prepubescent years. But um, the music foundation and education that I got there, um, I think, serves me to this day, if I'm honest. Um, because it was normal for us to spend half an hour every morning before anything else sight singing. They just give us these books and, you know, turn to page, well, number 45, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, boom, there's the starting chord, off you go. And this this was every day of my school life. I was there for nine years in total. So that's pretty intense, even though looking at it, looking back at it, it didn't feel like that it was, you know, excessive. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying it was excessive, but it was, um, yeah. It's, I, I think it's given me an advantage in terms of what I hear and how I listen and, and so on and so forth, which is very important for what I do now. Absolutely. And would you say that's kind of, you know, the most valuable thing that you got out of your, your school experience was just having that environment and, and, um, and that training, which, of course, eventually is, is giving you that opportunity to go through. And I guess also, from like you said, though, that particular teacher, um, which was the one that kind of, um, not unlocked who you were and what you were doing, but was able to just isolate it enough to sort of open a door for you. I guess, was it, were they the, the most important people or were there other people as well that had a big influence? Definitely other people. But um, James Simpson was, well, I, I, do my, I do my mother a great disservice by not saying that she was the first and probably, well, she remains the most kind of, you know, important influence yeah, I would not be here today without without her significant effort. Um, James Simpson was the first kind of real, uh, what's the word? Well, as you say, he, he identified something and enabled me, well, nudged me in the right direction. <laughs> I guess that's the key, isn't it? Is when, when, when people have those little conversations or they, they have a word with your parents or, or they just say, why don't you just try this and try that? It's usually because they've got an innate idea that actually they're experienced in these things. They do know what they're talking about. And actually, if you can just allow yourself to go with it, just give it a try. Just see. You never quite know then what's going what's gonna to materialise. <laughs> I remember my... um. My musical career started purely because when I went to secondary school, you had to learn an instrument. And I started playing the drums because when I had to tick the box at home, I thought, the drums, that sounds like probably the best of a bad bunch. <laughs> and and everyone had to learn an instrument in the first year. And I got there and I absolutely loved it. And, mm. um, and I had a teacher there who said, look, would you like some private lessons? And I... 
I thought actually that sounds like quite a good idea and got a drum kit started playing with people and, and the rest as they say is history but it's you know without that opportunity without that one sort of one person or that one environment just opening that door um, mm. um, who knows but like I say the, 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 I guess there's a bigger picture there in terms of how life pans out and, and all of that sort of thing as well um, so who did you admire when you were young gosh who did I admire um <laughs> I remember writing an essay in a music class, again at Purcell, um, being in absolute awe of Colin Howard. He was the director of music at the time. And um, he took some of our music classes. And I remember just being astonished at the fact that he could sing soprano, alto, tenor, bass. I had no idea what falsetto was at that stage. But um, I remember writing in my essay, I want to have a voice like Mr. Howard's because <laughs> <laughs> he can sing all of the all of the parts in, you know, in the choir. Um, yes, I've completely forgotten what the question was. Sorry, uh, but... it, it was it was just who do you admire, which which you said. And, and I guess the next part of that is, you know, um, what was it about him that had such an impact? Was it just the fact of his ability, which he was all in awe of, as you said, or, or was there something else about him that that really sort of struck a chord with you? Um, I, I, well, no disrespect to him, but I, I think at that stage my awe was somewhat simplistic, um, but pure, pure, and based in the fact that you know clearly he had an, a, an ability and a facility, um, and was able to demonstrate those um, with ease. And, and I guess also, you know, sort of looking back on it now, you know, as someone who's played all around the world in some of the finest opera houses and, and concert halls. Um, just knowing um, that yourself and having experience, you know, just the ease that you see great people working at in that environment, you know, I guess there was something in there which you knew at that age, even though you wouldn't have known it in the way that you do now as as being a professional musician. Wow, you, you've encapsulated a lot in a, <laughs> in a few words. If I were able to travel back in time to my first year at college self, and say this is who you will become i would categorically not believe myself life is surprising and wonderful and painful and tragic and beautiful and it is it is everything all at the same time yeah exactly i think that's it take take the experience in in all its forms and 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 allow it to unfold um good bad and indifferent because it's all it's all it all makes you who you are and like you say you don't quite know where that's gonna gonna take you in in the future um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? I'm going to say Robin Brindell, who is a lady. She is the partner of a guy called John Chaplin, who was the founding stage manager, of the uh, Day One Philharmonic Petronas, which was the home of the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and his wife uh, was an avid concert goer uh, and we became very good friends. And um, I'm still in touch with them both. They, they live in um, in Australia now. Um, and we touch base once in a while and, and catch up with things. Um, she is a very wise woman. Um, and I, well, I think a great deal of my personal development is, is down to conversations where she has challenged my paradigm at the time. Yeah, and I'd say only choose decisions that make you stronger. That's what I'm going to say. Wow! Yeah, that's uh, there, there, there's a lot there for for people to think about. Could you just say that again for us. Only choose decisions that make you stronger. 
Yeah, there's a lot to think about there for that. I really, I, I really like that. That's a very sort of profound, a profound thing to, to to come across. And I think also from that, just that sense of you've got control of your own destiny. And actually, when you give yourself the time, when you actually are thinking, right, what is this going to do for me? Is it something I need to spend my energy on? Is it something I want to even get involved in? Um, I'm not sure many mm. people think like that all the time. And I think just to give yourself a a good sense of Oh, what is this about? Where is it taking me? What am I going to do? I think, yeah, I think that it takes some time with yourself, but I think it's a really important, a really important thing to consider. Yeah. What advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> um, enjoy the journey. I was, I was very serious, and I think up until my mid to late, well, up until I met my wife, uh, I was quite angry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I did enjoy the journey, but not as much as I could. Relax, don't take it quite so seriously. But then I don't know if that would have gotten me to this point, you see. I think that's, it's, it's, um, I've, I've often, well, fairly often, fantasized about what I would do if I were able to go back in time. And um, for me, I think... Well, no, there's one regret, one lasting regret I have, which is that I didn't buy property in Malaysia when I first moved there um, because they were in a slump and everything was very cheap. And I would have um, I would have owned my flat over there outright, um, whereas I'm still paying mortgage on it and desperately trying to get rid of it. So if anyone wants to buy a flat in Kuala Lumpur, <laughs> get in touch with Mark and he'll... Well, no, it's fine. It should be done by next month. Uh, it, but in all seriousness, um, I've, I've, I think that what I would love to do is to have my consciousness in my own younger version and be able to hear my younger consciousness and experience all of that again, but not interfere. That's what I would like to do because, I, as I said before, I think that. Every every experience, every stage of my emotional, spiritual, musical development has been necessary. Whether it's been uh, whether it's been a success or, a, or an abject failure, and I think that yeah, the peaks and the troughs both they are they are essential to have brought me to this very spot today. So I wouldn't change anything um, in terms of advice. Yeah, enjoy, be more open-hearted. But again, I don't know if if I would have understood what what I mean by by that when I say that today. If you understand me, absolutely. And I think there is that. You know, I think when as you're older and looking back, you think, oh, it was never worth sweating this or that or getting worried about whatever. But I think that there's a certain amount of understanding that it's a natural thing to be worried about x y or z if it feels like it's a big deal i think i think accepting that's where you are whether you like it to be different or not is probably really important in terms of sort of working through that and allowing that to be the case i, I mean you know we, we could talk on a on a sort of a musician's level it's that kind of there's no need to be nervous there's an audience there just really looking forward to hearing you play as you feel like the whole world is bearing down on you in case you yeah. hit a wrong note or you come in at the wrong time or something like that um and and at the time it feels like you know your world will stop or your career will end or people are judging you and all of that kind of thing 
I mean, the, the the irony, of course, is the fact that when you're really free and you just allow it to happen because you're enjoying it and you're in the moment, that's when the most beautiful music comes alive and you're able to create something which is quite magical. But it's interesting that it's there's a very thin line between the two, which announced that to be the case. Yeah, and and the, I think the greatest irony in in what you've just said is that for me, when I am in the moment and, you know, that freedom is there and everything just flows, I come off stage and I don't remember a thing. And it's bizarre. I, and I, I know this because there have been concerts that I've performed and I've been in that place. And then a little thing will happen. You know, I, I'm a little bit late or something's quite a little bit out of tune. It takes me out of present time because I'm analysing what's just been and I come off stage at the end of the concert, and that's the only thing I can remember, other than it was an amazing concert. And people do just, you know, when, like you say, you yourself, you, you often focus on those things rather than an audience member seeing the whole in the fact that there's another, you know, maybe up to 100 people on stage with you. They're not looking at your every minute um, detail. And uh, and uh, it's a funny thing, but I, I quite like watching the tennis players. You sort of know, the, like people like Roger Federer, you know, sort of the greatest players that have ever lived. But they don't not ever make a mistake. You know, there are balls that go out. There's the odd double fault that goes in. You know, that, that it, I mean, I know they have other people playing with them and really pushing them and that kind of thing. But it's it's an interesting um, way of thinking, isn't it? You know, if they decided that oh, that, te- that tennis match was terrible because I, you know, I made a double fault, <laughs> then, then they'd never play anything, you know. And they have to be quite accepting, especially those really top guys. Some of those great games between Federer and Nadal and that kind of thing, you know, where they just have to be. I don't know what the outcome's going to be because we're both great players at the top of our game. I'm just yeah. going to put it out there and what will be will be. Exactly, yeah. Um, what does your future look like? Well, I can honestly say... And immediately I I almost say the thing and there's a hesitation. Um, But I am in a place working with people and an organization that I I am completely happy with. Um, So and, you know, well, retirement is still more than more than a decade away. But um, I think the plan between myself and my wife is for us to be here for the next 15, 14 to 15 years and then move to Korea. Um, I don't think there's another job in the UK that I'm that would tempt me away from this. What I really like, I mean, we chatted just before we started recording as well, is just that, that understanding that it's not just about you know the actual thing that you do it's about the people that you do it with and the environment that you're doing it and you were saying you've you know you've got great facilities there you've got great people you work with you've got a great setup and Mm. um and and we've both worked in all manner of different situations where on the surface of it it might seem like this is the greatest thing since sliced bread but underneath it there's other things going on or sort of behind the scenes it doesn't feel quite the same and I think actually knowing what you're about and actually living the life the way you want to do it and actually having the strength to actually decide no this is the way I want to do it with this particular people or this particular job or in this environment and having the courage to do that and that and actually know that there is a difference I think um, can make a massive difference to your life absolutely yes uh, and particularly when you juxtapose that with um, the tumultuous exit from Malaysia that I had and you know uh, certainly three well I'm, I'm honestly still in recovery now and that's what uh, six years later 
but you know the first three years were very tough um full of uncertainty throughout and again going back to what i said at the very beginning throughout that i knew that i had to play music um and my wife was fully supportive of me through that even though it was you know um at times blind faith flashing thrashing around in the dark because um well i didn't have a permanent position and i had you know monetary obligations and so on and so forth very very stressful and just for those listening listening we won't go into too much details but it, i mean as paul said he, he had a job in malaysia and that um and that job situation changed through through various um various circumstances and i think it is just that sense that um you yourself were the important bit and what i really liked was you saying you know you know you knew you needed to play that that's the bit which is you you know the where and how and all those sorts of things do change as you said you know you go through different jobs in different organizations but the essence of who you are which is the performer you know the timpanist the musician that comes that comes through and um and i think that's the most important thing and then allowing the rest of it to unfold and and that certainly from from my perspective looking looking at your career that's certainly been the the way that it's worked and um and and very successfully just to add to what I was saying before, blind faith. There is there. I think there is much to be said for blind faith, um, because it could it could have come down to the nth hour, you know, the the nth minute, the nth second before I had a uh, financial deadline or you know some sort of obligation that needed to be um, needed to be what's the word uh, um, completed. And something would happen. I, I distinctly remember looking at a blank diary, thinking, what on earth am I going to do with this? <laughs> and then out of the blue, I get an email from an orchestra that I'd never worked with before saying, are you free for these dates? Uh, essentially filling my diary for the next three months, the following three months. Uh, couldn't believe it. And, you know, that work came in. I wrote and I said, oh, I can do all of that. Um, and then all of that work went away again. But what came in its stead saw me in employment for uh, three, four years. Not constantly, but, you know, it's some of the most precious work I've done between in my journey from Malaysia to where I am now. And that, that's working with the Philharmonia, which is an incredible experience. And it's amazing that, isn't it, how... Um how you're only ever one phone call or one email away from something completely changing your life and um and, and i remember sort of post-college um having a quite a nice time sort of post being a student you know a little bit of um few concerts here and there and then get, just getting out of the blue a phone call saying oh could you come and just do um could you come and do one week in bath um it's in like a couple of weeks can you just come and meet up for a chat and i'll just take you through what it's going to be and that was um then Carl Rosa Opera and I went literally expecting to have a very short conversation and maybe going to do a week's work in Bath um, and out of that I ended up for I guess nearly the best part of 10 years um, working yeah. with that orchestra I then became involved in managing the orchestra and from that all other opportunities arose I met my wife during that period of time um, we I was working you know sort of many many weeks of the year um, just from that one thing and so what I thought was one week ended up being basically you know a large part of my career through that that, that amount of time and, and like you say I had no idea that was coming I didn't go after it I didn't try and do anything about it it just literally just appeared and um, yeah and it's just funny how those things happen. And like I say, that idea of faith, um, I don't know where that comes from. You know, I'd been at college, I'd been working, I was doing what I love to do, and then you just have to allow the rest of it to happen. 
yeah absolutely absolutely um what podcast book um video film song or or any resource really has had the biggest impact on your life and why i i'd have to say um i'm an avid uh listener to uh ian lee's podcast he's now he's in fact he'll be broadcasting right now on talk radio um he he does this show he hosts this late night show from 10 at night to one in the morning called the uh, the late night alternative um <laughs> and um i'm a podcast listener because more often than not uh at 10 in the evening i'm well i'm just off stage on a train back back from edinburgh or somewhere uh or, or perhaps in a pub uh, socializing with my colleagues or, or asleep or doing something else. But uh, when I'm when I'm at home and there's there are no other commitments, I will listen live. But I listen to his podcasts avidly. Um, and well, he's what can I say about Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle is his producer. Um, I got to meet them a couple of weeks ago, uh, not for the first time, but it was lovely. They were come. They were up in Glasgow doing a show. And myself and, and Sue, my wife, we went along and um, had a nice little chat afterwards. Um, his show is everything in life. It is funny. It is tragic. It is serious. It is hilarious. They cover every topic. They, they, they celebrate the clunky gear change, um, as they call it. You'll have someone calling in and, you know, talking about Brexit and all the horribleness surrounding that. Ian Lee himself, he's been very public about his his ongoing uh, battle with mental health issues. Um, that's a frequent topic on the show. Then someone will call in to sing a song um, or tell a stupid joke. Uh, or it, it's, it's glorious. It, it is, like I said, it is everything in life encompassed into, uh, yeah, a little three-hour radio show. So I listen to that pretty much every day. Thank you, Paul, uh, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your experiences. Pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.